Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Thursday the 6th of May and on today's briefing, could a kangaroo tail be the solution for one of human anatomy's weakest links? I had in my head that we needed to find a better graft and just watching the kangaroo move, I mean, everyone can appreciate how impressive they are as an animal. Yes, you'll find out how a graft from a kangaroo tail could help solve one of humankind's most debilitating injuries. That is today's briefing. First, Jan Franz here with the big news of today. Hello, the state of New South Wales is bracing for more local COVID cases. This is after a Sydney man tested positive yesterday. We are in a pandemic and at any stage we could have a case of community transmission. Our job now is to get on top of it. That's the Premier Gladys Berejiklian uh, announcing the new mystery case. There's alerts for a number of places including four barbecue stores. This guy was really on the hunt for a barbecue, man in his 50s who's been described as being very active in the community. Some of my worst nightmares consist of my day ending up on a New South Wales health website and everyone just finding out where I've been to. You know what, mate? I hope you found your barbecue. Well, he went to a meat store afterwards, so I think he did. So one of the issues is that um, health authorities say that the man was highly infectious when he was travelling around the city of Sydney. But also the other issue is that they're just not sure where he actually caught the virus from. He hasn't returned from overseas. He hasn't worked in border or quarantine roles. He has not had any contact with um, the hospital system. That's Dr Kerry Chant, who's the New South Wales Chief Medical Officer. And they're, of course, urging anyone in some of those areas in Sydney, eastern suburbs, um, also in the west, North Shore, he got around this guy to go and get tested. Yeah, and this is regardless of whether you've had a COVID vaccine or not. It doesn't matter at this point. If you've been to any of those locations which are on the New South Wales Health website, definitely go and get a test. This is the, the worry that, you know, we've gotten quite relaxed. Not many people are getting tested anymore. So a, a mystery case pops up and lots of other people could have it without knowing it. Exactly. And an Australian man living in India has launched a legal challenge against the government's ban on Aussies returning home from the country. Yeah, 73-year-old Melbourne man Gary Newman has been in the city of Bangalore since March last year and says the current ban is unconstitutional. Yeah, so this man went to Bangalore in March basically to visit friends. He's been stuck there ever since and has been trying to return. So there are lawyers that are working pro bono for him at the moment. They've lodged the challenge in the federal court yesterday afternoon. They'll basically argue that the government is acting outside of its powers here. Immigration Minister Alex Hawke has been out defending the decision. He told Sky News the government is confident that its rules are legal. We believe that all of Australia's inward and outward travel restrictions are fully consistent uh, with international human rights law. This case has been expedited and there'll be a formal hearing that's expected to be arranged in the next few days. Um, There are a number of Australians in India right now that are classified as vulnerable. That's increased actually from... 600 to 900 people, but all up there are about 9,000 Australians that are stuck in the country that have um, registered their interests with the Australian government and say they want to return home. Yeah, and the government's still copping a lot of heat over this. Um, the spat between Michael Slater and the Prime Minister has gone, gone off. <laughs> Michael Slater is fired up. He said on Twitter again um, to the Prime Minister, how about you take your private jet and come and witness dead bodies on the street? Yeah, I guess this has highlighted the gulf a little bit between the haves and have-nots here because there are 38 Australian um, cricket players who are over in India for the IPL, which is the Indian Premier League, 
they're still waiting to be evacuated either to Sri Lanka or the Maldives, which is mm. quite a nice place, I hear. I've not been to either country. So they're lucky in the sense that they can actually get out of India and go to a third location, even though they can't necessarily come to Australia straight away. Yeah, and in other sort of unrelated cricket news, a very bizarre story about Stuart McGill, the former um, test spin bowler. Four men were arrested yesterday for basically kidnapping him. This is a very strange story. And Donald Trump has labelled Facebook a disgrace after the decision to ban him from the platform was upheld. Yeah, so the president has launched his own website and he's responded angrily to uh, this decision by Facebook. He said... Free speech has been taken away from the President of the United States because the radical left lunatics are afraid of the truth, but the truth will come out anyway bigger and stronger than ever before. Mm. Via his website, donaldjtrump.com. Yeah. I don't know if you can holler from the rooftops that free speech has been taken away from you when you're hollering it from the rooftops on your own website that absolutely no one is stopping you from using. Also, no one's stopping you from sharing. So this was something that he created in in March of this year, basically because Twitter and Facebook both banned him in January and he wanted a way, I guess, of connecting with people. Yeah, well, he has ended up with a way smaller audience, though. Like, it's completely changed the tone of debate in the US. Um, It's in our headlines a lot less now, US politics, because they're kind of just getting on with the the job. So um, that decision by those platforms has made a big difference in the US. We're still just waiting to see when Donald Trump will formally announce if he's running again and what he does. But so far, um, his website is not getting the reach that Twitter was. No, and I guess that's why he wants to be back on Twitter and Facebook. But um, Facebook's Oversight Board, which is this organisation that's made up of 40 people from around the world, including one Australian, they were the ones that actually decided, no, the ban should be upheld. They did, however, say that Facebook hasn't been really transparent in the way that it's gone about the ban And they suggested that the company review the decision within six months. So for now, they've suggested the ban remains in place, might change somewhere down the track. Yeah, so they criticised the the fact that the ban was indefinite. So we're going to hear more about this in in six months, which will be really interesting. All right, Jan, we'll catch you tomorrow. In just a moment, Katrina Blouse joins us as we talk about incredible potential of the kangaroo tail. Hey, Katrina Blau is here and today's briefing topic, could a kangaroo tail be the answer to human anatomy's weakest link, Tom? We are talking about a little ligament close to your heart, the ACL. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the anterior cruciate ligament in the knee. Now, this ligament creates a world of pain for so many people around the world, particularly professional athletes. You will have heard it in the news many times that such and such a footballer has gone down with a knee injury, a career-ending knee injury. You're like, well, why is a knee injury necessarily career-ending? And if you ever dig a bit deeper into that story, it will be the ACL. Yeah, just this week, the Demons confirmed that their star player, Adam Tomlinson, is out with a torn ACL and Roosters stars Brett Morris and Lindsay Collins went down in their match against the Knights last Friday night, both with suspected ACL tears. Yeah, so there's a few just in one week and Brett Morris, for example, was sitting in the change room in tears after that match telling the rest of the team, the Roosters, that his career was over because of the ACL. So why is this such a such a big deal and why is it close to my heart? Well, I've done it as well. I had a big motorbike crash three and a half years ago and 
smashed a bone in my foot, but also did a bad knee injury. And part of it was basically snapping or rupturing the ACL, this ligament in the knee. And so I started looking into it, Katrina, learning more about this this bizarre injury and why it's such a big deal and, and how they fix it. And it turns out the procedure that is still being used to fix this problem is something that goes back to the 1930s. This is insane. And I'd love to know, like, how long did it take you to recover from your operation? About a year. I went skiing again a year after I got the surgery, basically, but very tentatively and with a knee brace that um, is the same one that the US ski team use. Well, that's, that's pretty cool. An Aussie doctor reckons he might have the solution and could even provide some future hope for you, Tom, in case your ACL fails again. Let's touch what it doesn't. And he's actually found it in dead kangaroos that he found in country New South Wales. We're talking about Dr. Nick Hartnell, and he joins us now from Barrel. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Why is the ACL injury so serious? Is it true that this particular ligament is one of the human body's weakest links? I guess you can call it a weak link because it's one of the uh, the injuries that uh, changes the lifestyle. And uh, we see it quite often in the young teenager to the uh, middle-aged athlete or middle-aged warrior, as we like to call them. They're um, devastating injuries because they, they change your activity. They cause instability of the knee. So then you can't participate in quite often daily activity. Just kicking the soccer ball in the backyard sometimes is hard after an ACL injury. How big is yeah. your ACL? Oh, so the ACL is about three centimetres long. It's in the middle of the knee. It's about three centimetres long and it, it, it varies in diameter, but, you know, between six and eight millimetres in diameter. And it's part of the problem that it, it's a, a part of the body that can't heal itself. If you go to the biology of injury healing, essentially what you need is apposition of the two injured parts. Now, in the knee, there's so much fluid that when the two parts are ruptured, the fluid will keep them apart. So they can't bridge that healing across the injured ligament. The fluid just prevents the healing across the ACL. And so that's, that's why it's a very low chance of healing. What purpose does the ACL actually serve? Like why, why do we even have it? <laughs> it gives you stability. So essentially when you prop and change direction, it's the ligament that gives you stability so the knee stays in the position it's meant to. I feel like I'm hearing about more and more ACL injuries. Is it that it's just getting more publicity or are people just doing their ACLs more? But there's a few reasons, one of which is the female participation is increasing. So it's great to see so many ladies playing uh, sports, uh, but unfortunately the female ACL is, seems to be a weaker structure than the male ACL. I think also you can see uh, that the more participation and the more rigorous training, for example, in the younger, uh, younger athlete uh, or even the school training, it, it seems to be, uh, in my belief, that that's causing some increase in ruptures. So which sports are most likely to land someone an ACL injury? It's the quick change of direction sports. And the Australian rules football is the classic example of that. But any sport can give it. Netball, for example, soccer uh, is very common. But any change of direction puts the ACL under, under load and that's where you can get your injury. And why is the recovery so hard? Why is it that when people do this, people start to suspect their professional career might be over? It's all about biology. So what you need to do when you have an injury, you need to give that ligament a scaffold so then it can heal itself. So once you've given the scaffold, then it's up to the biology to heal. 
we're talking about uh, nine months before we can start trusting it. And that essentially is a season at least, um, but also to get the rehabilitation right. You know, it's 12 months before they're really uh, confident on their knee. Now, that procedure to actually fix it or, or replace it, um, is, is super fascinating, but it also really surprised me to learn that it's the same procedure that's been used for around 90 years or so. It hasn't changed. At the end, end of the day, it's all about the graft. And so the graft is what we use as that scaffold to heal that tissue. And the graft hasn't changed for 90 years. So what we've been relying on is tissue from the patient or tissue from a donor, whether living or dead. And that's ultimately the same that we've had for 90 years. It's as good as we've got, I've got to say that. It's as good as we've got now. But it's uh, it's proving not to be that reliable. Uh, for example, if you're under the age of 20, you've got a 25% chance of this ligament not healing. Then we evolved surgically into thinking that um, synthetic ligaments will, will be the answer. And that gave some great strength and stability to the knee initially. The problem with uh, a synthetic or a man-made ligament is they just don't heal and they just don't support the body biologically. Unfortunately, try as we may, every synthetic ligament that we've, we've had has just failed dramatically. So when you talk about um, grafts, like autografts, which means it's coming out of your own body, the number one pick is the hamstring, isn't it? That's where mine came from. They, um, as part of the procedure, the, there was a, a keyhole surgery, and that's been one of the main improvements since the 1930s. And they reached, sure, yeah. reached up into my hamstring, stole one of my <laughs> hamstring two. tendons. They would have taken two. two. Yeah, and then they, two. they pull that out like a thread through a needle back out of the knee, pull it yeah. out into the open air, oh. d- double it up, and then feed it back in through these holes that you drilled through my um, tibial plateau and the bottom of the femur, and you threaded that hamstring tendon through my knee. That's what happened, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you still have that memory. It, it hurts. <laughs> I was awake. I watched. The, no, I wasn't. I was under anaesthetic. <laughs> Jeez, I thought you. <laughs> uh, it hurts, doesn't it? It uh, it hurts. And ultimately, that's right. You're stealing from Peter to pay Paul. So you're taking your hamstring, which never grows back, to reconstruct the ligament. And so you've instantly weakened your hamstring. Again, that's as good as we've got. That's the gold standard. All right, Nick. So tell us how kangaroos could take us one giant leap forward in this space. (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, it's just about the graft. I had in my head that we needed to find a better graft and we needed to have young, healthy tissue that was reliable. And just watching the kangaroo move, I mean, everyone can appreciate how impressive they are as an animal. So I decided to dissect out the um, tendons and they looked remarkably to me like hamstrings and it all went from there. So what did you find when you looked at it and how far along the pathway of trying it out are you? So we're, we're about five years down the track. We're doing it exactly by the book to make sure this is a viable product. We've compared the, uh, the tendons that I've pulled out of the kangaroo to the ACL. So we've, we've looked at the ACL directly and we've stuck uh, both tendons uh, against each other and looked at them from a biomechanical point of view and a histological point of view. And from a biomechanical point of view, the, um, the tendons that we pull out of the kangaroo are three to six times stronger. So depending on which, which uh, ligament or tendon you take out of the, the kangaroo, they're three to six times stronger than the human ACL. So have you put a kangaroo tail in a human knee yet? Not into a human, just into an animal. Can I ask what animals you've tried it out in so far? 
just in the sheep and the uh, and the rat model. Not necessarily an athlete, but uh, well, some sheep um pretty athletic. Well, they can jump. <laughs> they can outrun a sheepdog sometimes if, if they're fast. Um, so have you put it just in the sheep's body somewhere to see how it responds, or have you put we, it in a sheep's we're knee? At, we're getting ethics approval right now to put it in the knee and reconstruct a a knee just like an ACL. Whoa, know. a sheep's yeah. knee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, That's they're so cool. Yeah. <laughs> How far off are we then? Like, what's the process from here to actually trying it out in humans? How many years away do you reckon you are? Oh, I'm the world's greatest optimist, and and I keep, I keep thinking we're only a year away. We've got to get regulatory approval that uh, to do it. We've we've certainly got the surgeons interested. They want to have something that they can just give that's reliable and reproducible. The patient population is certainly interested uh, because I, I hear from patients all the time that they want to uh, want to be first. But um, we've got to get regulatory approval and, and I don't think that's going to be too far off. So I get the sense that your feeling is this will work. Oh, I have no question this will work. Right. No, in the lab, it's proven to be so good that I have no question this will work in the human. There's one big question to ask though. What is your response to the ethical consideration on, on harvesting kangaroo body parts? When we started our group and we, we started our company, in our constitution, we highlighted the importance of ethics. We take that extremely importantly. The animals that we use are only the animals that are used or tagged for culling purposes. Now, if you have a system, which we do in Australia, for farming that the animal is tagged for culling, if we don't utilise that tissue, in my mind, that life of the animal is wasted if we aren't able to utilise that tissue and actually put it to some really good use to help people get back to some health. Wow. Amazing. And I bet when you are at medical school, you never thought this would be in your future, right? (laughs) (laughs) No. No, and I, I actually have to credit r- rural medicine because uh, I, I was a city doctor and then I came to the country and uh, just yeah. being in the country, that, that's where I got the appreciation of the animals, got talking to the farmers and, and that's how, how I got my option. You'll become like the bush knee mechanic um, using kangaroo parts. And I, I got a, a feeling. Netflix series in that. Yeah. And given you've got a patent on this, I think you'll become the bush mechanic billionaire. <laughs> It's a worldwide attractive market, so we'll perfect it for the Australians first. I mean, it's an yes, Australian product. It, yeah. it, it's for us, and, and I want it to be here first. So, Yeah, Aussie skiers first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Dr Nick Hartnell. Isn't that fascinating, Katrina, the whole thing? So would you, if this was around when you had your ACL torn, would you put a piece of kangaroo tendon in your knee? 1,000%. Really? Yeah, like taking a graft from another part of your body, in my case, my hamstring, That was a nightmare. I already had a busted foot and a busted knee. I didn't want an extra injury in my hamstring. And after my operation, I was lying in bed one night. My brother was helping stretch out my knee. And we heard this almighty snap in my hamstring because there was still a little bit of tendon there that was really weak and it broke. And I thought I would never walk again because I'd also done my hamstring completely. And it was like, oh! So (laughs) if you can avoid it, it turned out to be fine. And I'm I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking. (laughs) But um, yeah. If, if you could do it without having to weaken another part of your body when you're already so weak, yes, please. What I love most about this story with Dr. Nick is that, he, you know, most people, as he said, see those rural postings as something they have to do, but he's literally made lemonade out of a situation that, you know, most people wouldn't want to do. Yeah, if this works, it will be a great Australian story. 
And tomorrow on The Briefing, a federal Liberal MP who is making a very strong call for the government to support the Uluru Statement. Listener.